So what happens is there's this messaging that tells us to work incredibly hard, produce incredible content, uh, don't talk about it too much, get letters behind your name, networking, eh, get letters behind your name, and don't really start something. Instead, just work within the system. Hey guys, welcome to Bloomex Podcast. Um, today we have a great shout out to mention. Um, shout out to MCRO for becoming a continuing sponsor for the for the podcast. So this episode and future episodes is going to be brought to you by MCRO, who enables businesses to grow through handcrafted digital solutions of the future. MCRO is a web and mobile app development studio with a competent, dedicated, and experienced team focused on solving business challenges through fast to market and producing high-performance digital products. If you're looking to turn your destructive ideas into reality or have a reliable strategic tech partner to explore options with uh, for your existing work or for new work, reach out to us and we'll make the introduction for MCRO and you can have the conversation over a coffee or a bone shaker IPA, your choice. Perfect, and we're on. Manjula, thank you for joining us. Um, this is an episode I really wanted to do. Uh, I know we've been talk, uh, talking back and forth a lot about getting this on. And really want to give you a shout out too. When I first started talking about wanting to do this podcast, you're one of the first people I reached out to. Oh my goodness! Okay. Right? Just okay. to validate the idea. I mean, I remember last year we had a call. Um, you called me out of the blue, just to ask about an idea you had, and I talked about some of my ideas. And when we started this podcast, I think it was May um, of 2018. Uh, I just called you and asked, you know, it's like I'm doing this thing just to validate, right? Like, how would how would you go by this? And you know, you've been on air talking on uh, CBC Radio about tech, about, about, about so many different aspects, but now you're on the tech show, but we know each other for so long now. For so long, my goodness. I was actually trying to figure out how I know you, but it's so many ways, right? Mm -hmm. Family, friends, uh, business things, yeah. Yeah. I will just say this, first of all. Yeah. I actually remember that conversation. Okay. And I remember telling you, I said, start small, don't worry about it, everyone aims for perfection, but just start. And then I remember watching your first few episodes, I was like, wow, when he starts, he just, like, this is fabulous. Oh, thank you. It's yeah. a lovely set. It's a professional outfit. But I just congratulations. And you know what? I always say to people, get your content out. But yeah. the f and, and people don't. Yeah. And people don't do it consistently. Um, and they give up after a bit. And, and you've been just, you and the team have been hitting it out in stride. Yeah which I know isn't easy, so congrats to you Thank for you that. so much. And you know, I, um, I, I, like, you hit it right there when you said, like, get your content out. Absolutely. Um, I followed that so much. Because yeah. um, you know, we as the team will argue a lot about it. Like, you know, yeah, should it look like this? What should the edit look like this? If you're not happy with that video, should we do it again? And I'm like, no, let's just get out there. Yes. Get it out there, let the people decide if they like it or not, and we'll get the feedback from them, right? Use it to build up for the next time. Not repeat those mistakes or uh, make things better. And it's an iterator process. I do find it takes time, though. Like, I mm. have to say that that I produce a lot of content as a journalist. Yeah. And I can't say right now I'm the best at getting it out. Like, I sometimes I'll look at Twitter and go, oh, my goodness, I haven't tweeted in, like, three, four days, but I've worked on all of these stories. Yeah. Um, that it's hard to get it out. And I, and I have to, as a practice, I'm hoping in 2020 to get into it. But I would advocate for people if you are, if you want to be known as an expert in something, or if you want to um, 
if you want to get the word out about what you already do, mm. you have to put out content. It doesn't have to be a perfect. It can be. I know people make fun of blogs, but they work. Newsletters are amazing. Yep. Podcasts are amazing. But get it out because someone or a group of people, that demographic that really care about your work will find you. Yep. Right. Otherwise, how are people going to know where you expect them to believe that you are an expert in this? Like mm -hmm. after watching a couple of your podcasts, I get a sense of of this is what you guys are good at. I can understand that you have a deeper that you understand the bottom of the funnel. You mm -hmm. understand the sales funnel. Well, how am I supposed to know that even though I've known you for a while, Ravi? It's it's like it's interesting because through watching the podcast, I now know a bit more about you yeah. and your understanding of the funnel than I did before at all of those sort of like cocktail parties or or functions. Absolutely. Right? Isn't that strange? Uh, no, absolutely. Uh, thank you so much for that, because uh, that's part of what we do this uh, podcast so much about is get our ideas uh, about what's going on in the world and how we can help uh, out there. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, so everyone always asks, like, you know, why are you a podcaster? What is this podcast for? Uh, how many followers do you have? And I'm like, you know what? The followers are the extra. Mm -hmm. What it really is, is a, a uh, platform really to have long-form conversations with yes. people like your capacity, uh, capacity uh, founders who come in through this uh, the podcast, investors, and really dive down into, you know, what's actually happening in the world around us. Mm -hmm. And I mean, one of the things I appreciate about your content as well is that how, like, how broad you are in covering different aspects of, uh, of today's biggest topics. And I mean, I was I was going to take back to like you've been doing this for a while, right? So let's get back to about about you, right? Like, what got you into this? Like, oh, no. you know, um, it's a switch. Yeah, <laughs> it's a right. Switch. It's like the, so. I I um, I strongly believe in networking. I yeah. have coffees with a ton of people yeah. uh, throughout the year, and the number one question that I have with people, like I try uh, once, I try four times a month to have coffee with people that I've never. Had coffee with before mm -hmm. right and the number one question i get um is why did you switch from working in the startup world to journalism so i'll very quickly say that story uh, i was uh, working with a startup called eloqua a job that i absolutely loved yeah. i was their vp of marketing it was a demand gen role which meant that it's not the kind of marketing where you can you know, imagine ad, ad, ads and, and think about how you can employ agencies. It's like, no, 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 no. Every quarter you have a number. Mm. And then you have to sit down with the SVP of sales and say, as a marketer, that marketing budget that I was given, here is how much I am driving to hand over to you so that you can work with it in the middle of the funnel and close it at the bottom of the funnel. Mm. It is marketing with like numbers yeah. it's very quantifiable and so it's almost sales driven marketing it's totally sales driven marketing mm. um i loved it i loved the job i loved the company i was employee number 13 there um i was there for between eight to ten years it all wow. fades now wow. um, amazing company uh and i got to the point where my husband had a very busy job i had a very busy job i'm very frank about this um, and I was, we had been trying for a while to start a family, um, and it just wasn't working out for us. Mm. And a doctor, doctors, let's say, would say, uh, you just need to kind of relax. You just need to maybe take some time out. And, and so I decided to actually uh, leave the company, which was very hard for me to do. It was like leaving a baby. They were very kind to me that, I mean, I don't know if this happens now, but 
the execs of the company are the co-founders try to find ways. They're like, let's have you working from home. Let's have you, do you want to take a sabbatical? I'm like, a sabbatical at a startup? What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to tell you that's ridiculous. But they were extremely kind to me. I should name them uh, because they are kind of a bit of a legend in the in the uh, Toronto startup community and for me personally as well Abe Wagner Mark Organ and and Steve Woods two of whom have now gone on to fa- find a start other companies so I did leave mm. um uh, and what happened is that company about 2 to 3 years after uh, actually was bought over by Oracle and then I had an IPO and did really well a great uh, unicorn story and so I was in this I had imagined that I would come back to tech, but I was caught in this little space where I was raising. And of course, the moment stress left my life, I became pregnant and had an awesome child, right? We like to call her the million dollar baby. <laughs> so, so what was funny is I was sitting around uh, and thinking, what could I do next? Like I could go back into tech. I absolutely love what I was doing. I love demand gen marketing. Mm-hmm. I love talking sales and marketing. But I thought, you know, at that time, I was uh, volunteering with a couple of charitable organizations, uh, for cha- for non-for-profit organizations in the city. One of them was working with refugees. Two boats of migrant Tamils had landed on the shores of Canada. And the rhetoric around those migrants was so dreadful, I got caught up in the story. I started helping organizations write press releases about them mm. and that quickly moved to me doing media interviews in something like a 4-day span about those uh, boats of refugees I did something like 20 or 25 interviews um and really I kept thinking the focus during those interviews was to convince people that these people are are not terrorists all we want to do is give them the benefit of the doubt and i heard that message going across because i met journalists who didn't understand the story but were willing to listen to me mm. and some of them would say you know have you you're actually speaking to us in a language we can understand have you ever considered journalism and it was like dropped into my brain so i gave it a try i went to study it um i thought i'll give it like 2 months of studying it if i hate it i'm leaving loved it loved writing didn't think i would love radio loved radio got hired at cbc it's now been 5 years mm-hmm. right and uh, a couple of the things that i do at cbc is i started off as a producer for metro morning which is the number one uh, most listened to show in toronto yeah. fabulous carnival fair show um not just in the gta but across the country hosted by amazing man who just left the role mad galloway who was also very kind to me um and then from that i got approach to do a national tech column which i do across the country so i pick an interesting tech topic but not just a random topic a topic that affects canadians on a day-to-day basis and uh, and so that airs on 26 shows across the country and they've been also very kind to allow me to step in as a guest host on our uh, one of our ontario shows which is called uh, fresh air mm-hmm. so so i cover tech but i also cover issues like transit a uh, politics uh, education yeah. um but also like are you going to go mushroom picking are you stressing out over the holidays the range of it so i would have to say i'm incredibly blessed but there's no way ravi that if i didn't have that startup career i would those folks are still in my life by the way but i would have the confidence because after you work in a startup for a while you think you can do anything which is good and bad we can yeah. get into that later but i would have the confidence i would have the understanding of toronto 
or the skill set wow. to be able to do what I do now or what I'm going to do next. So that you gave us a lot of information Sorry, right there. That was, you, that, was the sh- that was the short version. Yeah, no, 100%. <laughs> I, I completely agree. I mean, someone of your caliber has went through so much. And the fact you can shorten it, right, showca- showcases your ability to communicate, right, your achievements. And that itself is great. But, I mean, let's go back to that, right, the startup grind early on. I mean, yeah. it, it seems like you started at, a, at this great company, this fast-moving, fast-paced, where a lot of uh, you're, you're given, you're empowered to learn and act. Yeah. Um, and uh, right at the time where you're like the most productive in your life, right? Yeah. And it kind of lined up. Yeah. Right? So let's talk about how you got into that startup, right? Okay. Like, where did that come from? Like, did you want to always start in a company that's like new and forming? Um, or would you get pulled into it? You know, the founders? What was the story? Okay. So I'm going to say this, that um, when, uh, so the, uh, one of the co-founders was a friend that I'd worked with at a, a, at a company before, a small consulting company in Toronto. A couple of the other people on that first list of 13 of the founding team were people I knew as well. Yeah. So when I came in, there were 12 people at the company. The CEO uh, had met me at a party and given me a business card which had serrated edges. It's just so you don't think that I joined some fancy company. I'll be honest with you, when I saw a demo of the product, I told the two co-founders, what the dash, dash, dash is this? I thought it was a dreadful product. Mm. But here's the difference, and this is one thing that I follow through out my life. Three of them were really smart and really focused. I only work with people smarter than me, Mm. right? And I thought, you know what? Yeah, the product is not great, but I believe in these people and they're super intelligent, super hardworking, have interesting backstories. And that was it. That was the choice. And the reason I made a choice to go into startups is I was um, a senior consultant at a uh, at a consulting firm. It's an American consulting firm. They had an arm here. They were called March 1st. And I started feeling like I was hitting a bit of uh, a glass ceiling mm. where it was like, you need a ton of expertise to make it to the next level. You need a ton of expertise to be able to do this. And then I thought, oh my goodness, why don't I consider a startup? But I made that decision when, when the startup market blew up. Yeah. But I ran into these guys and I thought, I believe in them. I've worked with them. I know they work hard. Mm. And that was it. And so it was like a decision made over one week. Yeah. And the and because there are smart people and other hardworking people gravitated towards them, the product went from a chat product for websites to becoming, becoming a marketing tool that allows CMOs and their teams to build amazing uh, nurturing campaigns, demand generation campaigns to, to drive like specific leads into the top of your funnel. Mm. Can you imagine that started a chat product? But that's what intelligent people do. They're able to pivot, 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 pivot to get you to that amazing product. So let me tell you what it was when I was employee number 13 was not what I envisioned. But I knew another thing, and I know that you're going to talk to a lot of uh, founders. I'm not a founder, Mm. but I was part of the early founding team. So what I will say to people is you don't always have to be a founder. You can find smart people like you and work for people like you. And then what what happens is that even if the startup doesn't go anywhere, and a lot of startups don't, you become an incredible leader. So what then happened to me from that day is as the the product's trajectory became amazing, 
I also learned skills because this is how you learn a skill. Someone goes, oh, we need, we need a marketing team. Can you figure that out? I don't think I run a marketing team. I'm sure you can figure it out, right? <laughs> like that's how you learn. Yeah. Imagine that kind of skill. Yeah. So then you learn at, as an employee at a faster mm. rate and good founders trust you with that stuff and they manage you the right way and they mentor you the right way. That's what you need to find. So I'm gonna tell people, everyone out there wants to be a magical founder. Let me tell you, you can be a phenomenal founding employee or an employee. And let me tell you, even if that company goes nowhere, you're gonna leave. Like I could have left and I could have probably got hired for a while after when I was on a break, I would get offers from people saying, do you want to come on as a VP of marketing or VP of demand gen? Because they knew what I had done before. Mm. That was over like no time. Yeah. Right. So, so again, so, so I just wanted to clarify that it wasn't this magical company that I joined. It became that. Mm. I mean, that's really interesting. Like, so I'll tell you what is interesting to that story, right? Like as a founder, when you try to hire smart, intelligent people, you got to you got to provide them a something, a kick that they can't find traditionally, yes. right? I mean, that's the reason why they're there. Like you, you want for your baby, your this new company, the smartest, most energetic, the most like hardest hitting people you can possibly find. Problem is, how do you compete with like the Fortune 500 companies, yes. right? These big companies, the existing process that can get plugged into and um, have security from. And you hit it by, you got to hit them where the growth is. Yes. And uh, provide them with that ability to be like, you know, lead this. Okay, run this, right? I agree. I mean, I'll tell you, you know, for sure, I had shares, I had stock options, I had mm. all of that stuff. But you know what really made a difference to me is our CEO telling me, I'd like to have you lead, I'd like to have you one day become a CMO at a Fortune 500 company. Do you know what it's like for a girl in her 20s who's left a consulting company where there's a glass ceiling to hear that? Mm. I mean, you have stock options, you have shares, really? Is there any monetary value there? Yeah. You're making, you've halved your salary, if not far yep. less than that, leaving. But when someone says that to you and says, you're going to work away and I'm investing in you, would have conversations with you. Mm. You need to become a better public speaker. You need to manage your people better. What can we do? You know, we might not have a training budget. How can I help you? And be very harsh with you. In a startup, no one, there isn't the nice sandwich. Like when I did something dreadful, it would be, our CEO would say, that was terrible. Mm. So it's like someone's ripping the band-aids, but they're giving you this opportunity to grow, mm. right? And, and I think that's what founders need to offer their people. And it can't be just talk. You need to look at the people working with, uh, for you and say, how can, if, even if I disappear and this company disappears, how can I ensure that these people are in line for the C-suite in 10 years? Mm. How can I make it happen with the limited resources you have? Well, I have connections. I have, uh, you know, I have my own learnings. I have opportunities that I can present to them within the company. That's what you need to do, yeah, yeah. right? And that, that, trust me, will attract people who have a great salary because they're heeding bureaucracy everywhere else. No, I mean, as a growth, for, like as a person focused on growth, I mean, mm -hmm. this is what uh, resonates with me as well. Like I ended up founding companies because like I couldn't find the solution that fit, mm -hmm. right? But a lot of professionals who join startups, like you said, they either come for the problem, right? We believe in that problem. We believe in that vision. Or they believe in the founder. Or 
they believe in themselves yeah. and they need a place where they can grow and foster. And that's why, that's why like startups have been a place for like high end, high performing people to go into, yeah. right? And succeed from too. So that's a unique perspective you provide. Usually we think about startups as like people who go, something you do when you don't want to do traditional work. Yeah, but that's right? not it. Mm -hmm. It's a great place. I mean, you can even plan it out and say, you know, I have a period of my life that I want to do a tremendous amount of hard work, but I want that directly proportional to the growth in my career and hopefully mm -hmm. a good exit. But the exit, there's a very low chance of that. But you know that the growth in your career is possible. So if you've got five years, if you've got a runway of eight years in your personal life before, I don't know, you want to start a family or who knows, you want to go back into the consulting world or into the corporate world and do something else, take that runway. And even if it's three years, even if it's eight years, invest it with smart people at their startup and you will see the growth in your career. I can almost guarantee you that. Absolutely. Cool. Um, so let's digest a part of the career that came afterwards, like going into media. That's really how I know you from. Yeah. And uh, so just that tidbit, I want to take back to what you what you share with us. Like your media career kind of started with you standing up for what happened in the Tamil, the Tamil mm -hmm. struggle, mm -hmm. right? With the, the people that came by boat here. Um, that's interesting because that's like a... That's something like as being a Tamil, you can never get away from. It's part of our core identity it is, yeah. is our combined struggle. And as a diaspora uh, spread across the world, it's also a strength, right? Yeah. Because you standing up for the community and sharing your knowledge and your abilities at that time led you to be able to share your voices for other things that matter as well. Yeah. Right. That was your spiral effect. Yeah. Right. So was it, it can be fair to some assume that it was never your intention really to become a journalist, but it became a tool for you to exercise mm -hmm. your opinions? If you had told me, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know, 10 years ago yeah. <laughs> that, that I would be a journalist, I'd be like, what are you talking about, yeah. right? But I've noticed that that I have these, these moments of clarity at, at certain points in my life. Like when I, um, when I told you I had the sense that I was hitting the glass ceiling, mm. I have such clarity and I'm able to choose a path, right? Um, and it was the same thing here. It was like, I had this clarity, I had this vision, and then it was... 100% of my effort is going to go into that. And I want to end up at a mainstream publication. I want to end mm -hmm. up at the Tor Star or the Globe and Mail. Of course, when I started studying it, I just fell in love with broadcast. Mm -hmm. And that's where I ended up. So pretty much about a couple of months in, I thought, I want to be at our public broadcaster. Mm -hmm. And I've been so blessed because of amazing mentors and sponsors at CBC to end up in such a role. Mm -hmm. uh, but I do think that that... There are, we have to be very cognizant of um, things in our life that push us in directions. And so now I'm going to say something that I warn people about. Sometimes okay. people hear my story and they think, oh, I had an epiphany too. You're right. That's it. I'm going to start a bakery. Mm. Right? It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, right? Yeah. That's impulsive behavior. It's, there is a difference. Yeah. There's a difference. Um, I would say that when possible, I had certain resources available to me. Um, financial resources available to me. So I was able to make a switch like this, mm. right? And know that I'm okay financially, right? But I would say to people that if you're going to make a switch like that, know that it can be very hard on your, on your finances, on your ego, on everything else to start again. When possible, make a lateral move and be careful that epiphany isn't just, I'm just stressed out at work. I... 
you know, I'm, I'm having a midlife crisis, whatever it is, because I'll tell you, I meet people um, constantly in this new career in journalism who have had, you know, they started out as, as an accountant, gave up, went on to become, start their own startup, gave, like they start multiple things, but they don't stick through the hard times. Mm. And in every career that you do, even at a startup, Ravi, you know this very well, mm. that the stuff at the start, when you start, is 80% tedious and awful and 20% of good strategic stuff. Yeah. And it's only as you get deeper and deeper into the career that it reverses itself. Don't keep quitting when you are at that 80%. So sometimes I meet people that have this epiphany, hear my story and go, yeah, I should switch too. It's like, no, you need to really meet with a whole bunch of people, talk to them and think about if you're making the right decision. Yeah. And if you have the skills, the finances, the is if that place is going to present opportunities and i say this because i went from a place where i could tech is opening up tech was like it's just killing it in toronto toronto yeah. is just growing and i and i moved into a field that is actually kind of dying yeah but i knew that i had a, a, a certain level of skill certain level of support so i could do this so mm. i'm gonna say that when you have that epiphany think through it don't just jump into things no absolutely i mean that that that's really important too. I mean, there's really two types of founders we talk about on the show a lot. Okay. Um, so let me tell you here your thoughts on this, right? So it's a, so founders fall in a kind of a spectrum: visionaries versus like operators, mm. right? So operators are systematic thinkers, yeah. right? High-end professionals who have developed something, they found a problem they can solve, and they systematically go out and build some uh, build a vehicle that can solve that problem. Yeah. Right. Now, visionaries get obsessed. You know, yeah. they see, you know, the mountaintop, what yeah. could be, right? Or, um, you know, or fear something or like are chased by something that pushes them to, to, to develop that. They're more emotional based. Yes. And um, helps if you have both. I'm guessing. It helps. Yeah. So <laughs> most people fall on some They're for kind of founders. Some, yeah. you know, it's a spectrum. They yeah. fall on one thing. And the dangerous thing is when people get too emotionally involved, right? Yeah. When they're a visionary, they, they, they get obsessed by their idea. It can be a benefactor, but it can also be a curse because it gets pulled yes. in a bubble. Yeah. But in a sense, like, I think there's two things. You either have to, like, if, especially depending on the risk, depending on the uh, company or, or, or a thing you're doing, right? Like entrepreneurship-wise, doing something safe like a bakery, like where it's like, okay, you know, there's already a systematic way of doing this. You're just kind of plugging yourself in and changing a certain process. But let's say like a, a tech company where it's a massive scale of a process yeah. where potential for hundreds of thousands, of, hundreds of millions of dollars yes. there on the table. That's that's a market you're going after. Um, there's really two kind of ways to look at it, right? You either have to love the problem you're mm -hmm. trying to solve. Yes. You have to be emotionally attached to that. Yes. So that's your guiding light. Or you got to hate the problem so much yes. that it's such that's a pain that you That's a really good that. way to put it, yeah. Right? So these two guiding emotions, one or two or a mix of them, has to be there, as, especially the, as a, the, the beginning founder or even a, a founding team, as you said, mentioned before, um, to guide you through this. Because, again, the tediousness of it, right? Yeah. I mean, the amount of work, the amount of things yeah. that need to be done, the amount of roadblocks that might be there, yes. you have to go ahead. The only way you'll get through that is if you either hate the problem enough to be like, you know, I'm yes. going to be the one to solve this, or you love the, uh, the solution so much or, or, or what you want to build so much that it's pushing you too. Mm -hmm. And it's those people who can mix and balance between the emotional guiding force, but also have the, the skills as an operator and the experience to guide them through obstacles and not take shortcuts and uh, guide them through that really make it out. 
And what kind of drives me crazy is there's no infrastructure really supporting how, how to structure people's thoughts. Mm. You know what I mean? Like everything we're, we're guided towards is more of the mechanical be a worker. Okay. Right? You're, go get a, be a, get a job. Okay. Your entire adolescence, that's what you go through, right? And anyone who starts, and find, uh, starts these companies, it's literally up to them to go and get the skills uh, yes. Either by getting mentors or learning the right things, all that. Everyone's kind of working in their own kind of capacity. There's no underlying force guiding this, even though it's these innovators that's really been the guiding light of our economic growth. So you're saying that even though we've had sort of the stream of innovators right here, even in Canada, there isn't something that you can tap into that says, here's, it's some way of, that, that it's been systemized that you can tap into. Exactly. Hmm. Right? I mean, there's not, there, there, I mean, it's very I mean, founder-focused, all this, but, um, and it's a lot to do with um, looking back at our education system too, right? Interesting. I mean, we're moving into the fourth industrial wave where all these SaaS companies, especially these software is eating the world and taking away now middle management jobs. Yeah. Right? So, the future of work is more creative. Like yeah. I strongly believe that the future of work is more entrepreneurial, right? Where everyone's more independent. It's funny that the co-founder of, um, of AngelList said this really cool thing. He's like, it's almost like technology now is reverting us culturally to a time where everyone was like hunting and gathering for themselves. Yes. Or like farming for themselves. And I think that themselves. is an area. And, and there will be good things that'll come out of that era. You know, it's, it's funny. I remember, um, uh, friends telling me that, you know, when things changed in Hungary and they, they left communism, right, there, there are a group of people that prospered mm. because they, were, they hadn't been in the system long enough, right? They saw capitalism, they started opening restaurants and starting businesses and buying up things. And then there's a group of people who just never... Yeah. got over the fact that the system was like, oh, we're going to take care of everyone. Even, if, that that, even yeah. if it's from a meager lot that we're going to take care of you, we're going to take care of you, right? And, and I think that, that what happens with, with founders is that it's that second group, yeah. right? Um, but coming back to that, I actually find that really neat that you think that that doesn't exist. But isn't that what incubators and accelerators and, and places so like let's talk that about do? that too. Look about, let's look at access. Okay. Right. Generally, incubators, the vast majority of incubators are campus-linked incubators okay. run by universities. Okay. So you have to have come out of a university environment to even be comfortable to approach these. So people who don't haven't gone through university uh, university level, right, are, don't have access. Mm -hmm. That's a huge percent population cut off from that. They think it's too academic streamed. And even people who go graduate through universities, a lot of them don't even know. The incubators even exist. Yeah, it's only the top who are looking for it or academically inclined for it that have been pushed by the system towards it that uh, are activated by it, right? So either they're hungry and looking for it, or like this, there's no methodology push them towards that. Sure. Right. So universities are going through this transformation right now. I actually sat on a, a review committee at UFD, where we did a, a like a study, right, uh, across the university on the effectiveness of the of the hub like here. And um, the thoughts were, uh, the biggest thing is that universities like University of Toronto um, are thinking is that education is no longer a paywall they can put up. Mm. Their business model was like, here's this world-class education, here's all the research we have done to validate that we could generate smart people and we cultivate this with people who can teach you all these things, but here's this wall you have to pay to get through, yes. right? Like, if you go on YouTube, like, it's one of the things that amazed me, like Virginia Law School, Yale, Harvard, mm -hmm. all their courses are out for free now yes. on YouTube. 
Yeah. And I'm watching like um, the CEO of uh, Wells Fargo, not Wells Fargo, sorry, uh, one of the top banks, right? Went to, to Virginia Law School and teaching how to do sales yeah. and saying obscure things that uh, any baseline salesman will learn, but they're teaching it very hands-on, like very academically to these students who never had these kind of, um, never had these skill sets yeah. in grade one. They never had to like work hard or like hit that sales job on the floor to uh, know the basics of it. Yes. And I couldn't help by thinking like, these people have, the, the, the academic knowledge now is now liberalized. People who can't afford or never had the opportunity Could, to go yeah. there but and learn from the hard knock life, uh, hard knock um, of life, right? Actually learn from life, now have access to it, right? So me right now, I can go and learn from a team of Virginia Law School, Harvard Law, but also from like things like, like um, uh, Y Combinator. And I think that's kind of institution. I think we there need. is an opportunity for that. And I don't, I think it's now happening piecemeal. Like yeah. you said, oh, there's a law school here. And there are all of these, you know, those online education things that everyone signs up for. But it's not um, coordinated. It's not coordinated. Yeah. But which is, which is actually also a problem because at the end of the day, a portion of it is also privately driven, mm -hmm. right? Privately driven means it's engineered to meet a specific need. You said that, yeah. right? The pharmaceutical industry or the uh, the petroleum industry uh, engineered this to meet a specific need. I mean, is that what we want too, right? But at the same time, I really don't see governments being the ones that can drive that. So, exactly. so which is what happened in the past too, right? Yeah. So, so I think I think you may be right that there is a need for for coordination at that level. Yeah. And I think that it'll have to be privately driven. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, so that's one of the things the that... Checks and balances. I don't know. I always say that, yeah. though, though I have no idea what that means. Exactly. I like to say everything with checks and balances, please. Yeah. Right. And this is the, the fearful part of it, right? So like like the third when the third industrial revolution happened, 1920s, 1930s, and all people unemployed, everyone's like, all these jobs are disappearing to, again, mm -hmm. machines, right? More physical labor machines at the time, right? Electricity came out in bulk and mass production became a thing. Um, like everyone's like, where are these jobs gonna go? Yeah. But then these jobs were created in essence by the people, by, by the private industry that kind of formed around it, yeah. right? Which came back to build institutions, AKA the schools, then later on the universities to, to propagate itself. So I think, I think it's gonna happen next is that these like software companies and hardware companies, their job next is to create a next layer of institution Mm -hmm. That can support everybody, mm. right? Because uh, I don't know if you know who Scott Galloway is from L2 Inc. He's an NYU professor. Yes, yeah. He has his own media agency online. And he talks about this, like the cost for innovation has actually gone upwards, right? And the amount of innovators have actually gone downwards. Even though we see it now more, it's more glorified mm -hmm. because these are the companies that succeed or create disruption that became now the part of the culture of Zygist now. Mm -hmm. um, the amount of actual people innovating has actually gone down. The amount mm -hmm. of people starting companies in the garage almost does not exist anymore because the cost of innovation has gone up. Okay. Because And part of that cost is living cost, right? Mm -hmm. It's letting go of things, right? So one of the things that Canada's known That's for- That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. So he thinks he thinks the cost of innovating has gone up because of living costs? Because the cost of letting things go, right? So it goes back to this idea. But the actual cost of innovating, you can say, has gone down in terms of exactly yes. So cost so of innovation and access to innovation, access to technology, access to access to uh, uh, all these things has gone down 
and become more widespread, but the cost of access has gone up. Interesting. Like imagine being able to leave your job and yes. knowing that your uh, mortgage you paid for the next six months when most people live paycheck to paycheck yes. or a hundred dollar bill break, make or break them. Yeah. Right. Vast majority of people or wage are, increase uh, as opposed to, you know what I mean? The cost of, I don't know, house in the GTA kind of thing. Yeah. Right. The amount of people who don't have the training or the knowledge or the access or even like the self-esteem. Mm. Right. To but even is there, go out is and there do other things. statistics that show, Ravi, that 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 there are sort of less. I don't know how to how you would even define this less innovators per capita or less startups per capita. Is that what we're seeing? So I don't think so. Anecdotally, I feel like may, perhaps because when I was in a startup in in Toronto, uh, Eloqua, when we started like back in the day, it was hard to find other people to meet with for coffee that you could talk about marketing with, yeah. like another. People would always say, "Oh, you should find another, you know, female VP of marketing at a startup." I'm like, "What are you talking about? Yeah. I'm trying to find a startup and a VP of marketing in the city." Now I could stand at our headquarters uh, on on uh, Front Street, throw a stone, and hit like 15 yep. startups yeah. walking by. Yep. Right? My, sometimes when I do interviews, it's like, "Oh, our building is just four doors away." So. So I just think that anecdotally, it feels for me like everyone's starting a startup. Absolutely. And it's not just startup, small businesses. I mean, there was a time that if you wanted to, to like, even the cost of sort of trying things out, experimenting, let me, you know, put out an idea and see how it falters. I don't have to hire a PR agency because now there are all of these people who are doing things as side hustles. So I almost think the beginning has become easier. And because of that, I feel like I'm always talking to, to startups. So I actually... I mean, that's great that Galloway has this great thought, but I'm just wondering if statistically we're actually seeing more people because of precarious employment, because of all of these other things in the marketplace, you know, where companies are not loyal to them. You could be hired, you could be fired like this. I actually wonder if not just startups, but small businesses, there's actually more per capita, mm -hmm. possibly. Yeah, so here, here's the difference between what I'm saying, right? So. This one stat that it really boggles me, right? So in Canada, even though we have ten times the popu ten times less the population in the United States, mm -hmm. right? We have almost ten thousand times less the economy. Yes. But we provide we produce ten percent more innovators per capita mm -hmm. than the United States, and the reason is really I if did you're, not know that. If yeah, so that's why like 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 and innovators like, across we're talking pharmaceutical or whatever it is. Yeah, okay. yeah. I mean all the things we're known for like uh, what's it the telephone being uh, coming out of Canada. Right, um, like, like uh, was it Tynal yes. came out of the University of Bantingham Bass Center, right? Yeah. Like all these things Health came out of Canada. Health happening all over downtown now. Uh, and Toronto the main Canada. reason is, if you're 28 years old and you want to quit your job and start a company, right? You don't have to worry about using your health insurance for your family. Got it. So your new family at home. Got it. Yes, right. That's a main factor there why a, people are a, more willing to take that net, jump. There's a net to catch you. So there's more yeah. of a jump. Right? Yeah. There's people more willing to take that jump. Mm -hmm. So even though there's less of an economy to support it, less resources available, people will take the jump. They'll take that risk. Yeah. So Canada, as the way we structured it, allows for innovators to take a leap. So I'm like, how can we double down on this? Mm. Right? How can we provide more security to allow people to take that risk to create these things? Because it does benefit us. Yeah. These companies that succeed do produce, produce all this preposterous wealth, right? Look at, like, uh, Skip the Dish. So uh, one of my friends, a, a Tamil guy, actually uh, is a product, lead, uh, director of product now at Skip the Dish, right, out in Winnipeg. 2,300 
tech workers work out of Winnipeg now from Skip the Dish. They use Goo from 800 over the past year and a half, mm. right? Because Skip the Dish is founded by three guys from Saskatoon. Mm. And Winnipeg was the biggest city around at the time for them when they're growing. And since then, they kept it there. And now they have sold the company. Uh, Just Eats actually owned Skip the Dish, I just found out. And uh, they, I don't know, they had a parent company. And one of the conditions was based out of here. But they couldn't move either way because all their processor and grain. Got it. And now they've built this whole tech scene around themselves. Which then, of course, burns other, yeah. yeah, yeah. Br- expr- like br- builds a whole bunch of things around them. Yeah. So there's clearly a value. But imagine if those three couldn't take that leap because yes. they had an issue, right? I wonder too. I They're mean, you might be you might be able to answer mm-hmm. this better than I can because you deal you have these these kind of I I was going to say intimate somewhat intimate conversations yeah. with uh, with um, uh, founders. Uh, I also wonder though that if that those benefits for some reason don't play out for everyone equally mm. because and I'm still trying to figure out why I've heard all sorts of theories I've seen the research why you know you're still seeing that gap when it comes to um, women innovators and yep. people of color innovators mm. right like it's you know what I mean right like part of the problem that has to be also addressed is also that we are letting if if we've all agreed that this is a uh, if these skills and these abilities and these safety nets are available to a group of people, they innovate more, then why isn't, why isn't it equal? There's something missing in the equation. And if we've agreed that when these people innovate, they provide us with economic benefits, then aren't we, don't we have a huge missed opportunity that 50% of the population women and a, and a significant portion of the people that are of varied backgrounds don't feel they have the same access? Is it what is it? What is? And I don't know what it is yet, but I'd be curious. Like I, I, I don't think know the if you... biggest issue is self-esteem. I don't think we have anything that any kind of institution. That, really, Ravi? Yeah. You really think it's self-esteem? I I think. Um, sorry, not self-esteem. I don't want to put it like, oh, it's on them. I'm saying like the esteem, one of the things. I think the, I think the esteem to come out of the shell, right? Yeah. Because I've talked to so many people, uh, people of color, who like will be killing it professionally. Yeah. And like, why do you take a lead to start your own company to do this? And it's just like it feels like they're not good enough. Something that's yeah. something inside of them. Yeah. Because I feel like our uh, these uh, minority communities are more likely to inter- have a lot of internalized traumas that yes. they have not been dealt with. Agreed. And okay. by self-esteem, I mean like... Yes, I agree. Are, and it's one of the... That's well I think I think it's going to be the, 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 this unrealized trauma that have been dealt with, that have not been um, realized yet. Yeah. And there's no institutions really to help uh, provide this. And I, I think it goes quickly back down to this, right? I'm going to tell you a story yeah. as you say that. So... Um, when I left the consulting company yeah. <laughs> to, to join the startup, yeah. and you know, you have sort of the, the pay drop and everything, and in certain ways, you know, I was supporting a bunch of things in the family. My parents were stunned. They were like, You have this professional career. And like, they were just, they thought it, mm. it, I could have run away with the circus. Yeah. What's funny enough is that I, a friend of mine who I've um, worked with in volunteer, uh, with volunteer efforts before, I have a tremendous amount of respect for her work, Anusha, I um, recommended that she come and apply and work for Eloquent. She got a job. And apparently her parents also thought the same thing. It's like it was the equivalent of, of her, you know, uh, running away with the circus or running to the circus. Like it, so... I think also for anyone who's immigrated to this country, who's crossed the pond, who's left behind a lot to come here, Mm. they just feel like, look, 
could we just chill? Could we just, just chill? Like, enjoy like this. please, please yeah. do not start something, yeah. right? Like, could we just? I remember at one point when I was working in the consulting company, I told my parents, I said, because I wasn't really, you know, I was single. I thought I have some funds instead of putting into a house. I said, yeah. maybe I'll buy a Tim Hortons franchise. My parents thought it was the worst idea ever. And now I think I wish I had. Yeah, yeah. I, I ended up putting it into investments. You know how that goes, right? Yeah. And I, but I think that there. So so what happens is there is this messaging that tells us to work incredibly hard, produce incredible content, uh, don't talk about it too much, get letters behind your name, networking, ah, eh, get letters behind your name, and don't really start something. Instead, just work within the system. Yeah. So it's really hard to kill that messaging. Right. So again, that's probably why you're running into capable people in all sorts of that's just one theme. And yeah. I mean, there are other there's still barriers within these spaces. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's one thing. And that's why I want to tie back into like that esteem building. Right. So not yeah. self-esteem, but esteem building. Right. The ability to be like uh, demand more from life than what's been given to you. Yeah. Right. So a lot of people, especially immigrants, come in and they settle in and they settle in and they're like, OK, you know what? I'm happy. Yeah. You know what I mean, like this is just great. Like, let's just keep this going. Or like there are still dealing with things to a yeah. point where like taking risk doesn't seem like an option mm -hmm. right so when it comes I to mean, if, you, if your family came as a refugee to this country you think one generation later you're going to not still feel come on yeah yeah so esteem building right like one of the main things about that is that say there's a surety of of like you're gonna be okay Mm -hmm. And that's why people who are like more established, aka their families have been here for a few generations, they understand the landscape, like you know they're connected, they have roots, right? The difference between that and people who kind of come in, uh, come in as immigrants, is that kind of uh, esteem to like this belong land belongs to me as well, right? Yeah. Anyways, um, like this ties back into like a, a solution. So have you been following Andrew Yang from the yes. from America? Is yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, you, who, how can you not follow the American elections? It's like, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like it's like its own reality show. Exactly. Right. right? Sometimes I'm like, I don't think I'm following. I'm not working on any uh, any U.S. news stories. Why am I still watching droves of this stuff? Right? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Right. Um, he's, he's fascinating. Actually. He's interesting. Right. Yeah. Because he provides a whole different perspective and yeah. seemingly a radical idea, but it's actually been proven effective. Right. Like even. Um, wow. Which idea was this? So universal basic income. Yes. Oh right. my goodness. UBI. Coming back to future of work. Okay. And right. I've really been on the fence and I've had a couple of friends of mine who are in the tech industry say that they are shocked mm. that I'm not for it. Mm -hmm. Like unabashedly for it. They're like, how could you, are you clueless? Okay. Let's go into this. What are your thoughts on it? I have to, I have to really think this through because <laughs> I have been criticized at, uh, private parties for voicing my thoughts on this. So I don't want to, I will say this way that the, the more I read about it, I, I, I do think that we can't, that, that it's, it's a must do, mm. right? Like I don't, I don't understand how we are going to be, we're going to deal with this future that we're talking about without having that laid out. And, and apparently, you know, if, if you look at the research, the few, few pilots that have been tried have been actually quite successful too, mm. right? But I think that, I think there is, um, I, I don't think the idea is palatable. Yeah. Again, a guess, but from conversations I've had to a majority of people um, outside of that group of people who are kind of looking at this future and going, I just don't know how else we're going to do this. Like, absolutely. this is absolutely necessary. I don't know, how do you... Yeah, so... 
like I, when I first heard about uh, UBI, it was actually by from Andrew Yang. It's on yeah. the Joe Rogan podcast, yeah. right? So I first got introduced to him, and I'm just like, inflation, right? Like I don't understand this model. Everyone gets gets money. Like how does that work, right? Doesn't yeah. it drive up inflation and like drive down the uh, down the value of money? Yeah. Um, but he was explaining, and I started researching more about this. Actually, Dale, um, could we bring up like the origin of like UBI on this, like? <laughs> well, let's look. Let's look into it, right? What did he say on on Rogan's show? Did he declare? He didn't declare it then. Though. No, he declared beforehand. Before. But that's that was like the platform. Okay, I mean, Joe right. Rogan has like four million viewers per episode. Of course, yeah. so that's really where he came out. He like twelve thousand followers on Instagram, and then after that, he's now at two hundred thousand. He shot okay. up, right? And um, so with UBI, like I started looking at. He introduced it, but it's actually been an old concept. Yeah, it's actually a very capitalistic concept. Mm. So the idea being that everyone's wealth, right, income starts at zero, right? And it's un- kind of unfair. Some people have generational wealth. They yeah. have already this infrastructure built underneath them to support them. Yes. So they, are unfair, uh, they have unfair playing field, right? So capitalism is really about creating wealth, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, creating instruments of wealth. And most people don't have access to be able to create that. So with uh, UBI is that everybody gets like a certain amount coming in regardless, yeah. regardless of that, right? So it's not about... I, feel, I wonder if I actually heard this interview because I feel like... Joe Rogan may have said, "Yeah, but what happens when, when you know, when 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 it becomes a basic for everyone? Like if everyone got 22k, suddenly 22k becomes meaningless." Yeah. And actually, I think he defended that quite well. Yeah, yeah. Right. I feel like this interview sounds familiar. He did. Yeah. He did. Um, uh, Dale, I'm looking for a particular name. He, uh, the sh- he's from the Chicago School of Business, known as like the like modern father of like capitalism. Like, you know he that was there are a couple this. of people that have done research on it, and I feel like wasn't there a pilot done? There was a pilot done in an Ontario city. I feel like. Obviously. Yeah, there was uh, not there in was. the city of Toronto. I think it was in Hamilton. Hamilton. Okay. So there was a so nation just killed. Yeah, but yeah. They were killed. Yeah. When uh, when uh, the Ford nation came came mm-hmm, through, mm-hmm. but uh, there are a lot of countries are doing pilots on this, right? Germany, Europe, like, it's got yeah. across 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 the world, like just testing it out, and the results have been pretty positive, mm-hmm. right? So the idea is, yeah. So you give everyone like a consistent income coming in, so kind of a security net. So talk about institution building, okay. right? Like this is money coming in regardless. Got so that's it. at least. So there you go. So you're thinking it's again that safety net, right? right? So see, I think I don't think you could call it a safety net, right? I think it should be calling an enablement factor, right? Okay. So it allows people to take risk at a different level. They know that it, they have income coming in. They're not going to starve. They have some place to eat at least. Thousand yeah. dollars not going to get you much, but it'll get you something at least to exist. And that's mm-hmm. guaranteed by the system. Mm-hmm. So it allows you to take a little more risk, jump. So you know that. There's this, this waiting for you. This is the outcome waiting for you at the very least. Yeah. Right. So increases it from a base zero, you know, negative scope. Right. So people want to leave, leave to go retrain themselves and actually become, let's say, a second, third career path. They can do that. Yeah. Right. They can take that leap. Right. It can help with bills, help with this. Right. Income coming in. And the whole thing is to make them think is like, hey, if I w- if this is a stream of income coming in, regardless of what I do, can I create more like this? Yes. Because not enough people think like that. Yeah. Everyone equates labor with income. And I think that's what's going to be happening, especially fourth way, fourth industrial revolution with the enablement of all these new technologies. It's more about what can you use to create income for yourself rather than what using your labor. Yeah. Right. It's interesting that you see it as kind of almost like an innovation play. I see it more as a um, that there is a, there are a certain group of people that are going to be left behind. Mm. And 
I don't think that they'll be able to tap back into the economy. Absolutely. And I think the rate of change is going to be so fast. Like this isn't, you know, the last time we went through it, at, at least it was, it played out over a couple of years. Meanwhile, this is going to be so, a friend of mine who's, um, who's, uh, in the tech sector in San Fran. One day we had this like really worrying conversation about it. And he was saying, he says, you know, he feels like it'll be like, t you know, uh, 2028, it'll start. And then by 2029, it'll be here. Like he goes, it's, it's going to be that rapid. And I said, I have exactly the same fear. And I just don't think that there will be that time for new roles to emerge as fast. I think I almost and I'm not trying to make things sound really dark, but in it, on those days when I have those conversations, I feel like you're suddenly going to have mass layoffs. and or Or you could see someone over 10 years in their life retraining themselves for three careers. Now we're doing it. We're, you and I are already talking about how hard it is, and we've done it as a choice these people won't have a choice exactly. right yeah. and the 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 jobs that we're looking at are jobs that involve some complexity how do you retrain really quick for that so i i i do see it as a as a as almost like a protection mm. right a, a a thing a thing to say that in order for you to actually live and feed your family here's something till you find something else that can continue to feed your family absolutely yeah. and uh yeah, so like uh, I think that these are the kind of questions we should be asked or to ask yeah. and to try to figure out. And um, yeah, so thank you for sharing your thoughts on this. It's been great. Like before we, we wrap this up, like yeah. I want to give, really give a chance to like talk a little more about other things you've done. Oh right? Okay. Um, I know you. Met, I know you're very involved with a group called Tamil Women Rising. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Let's uh, let's talk about that. Dale, you can bring the website up. Um, so. About a year and a half ago, I think the group is about a year and a half uh, old. Um, a year and a half ago, I was doing working on a lot of stories around uh, the Me Too movement. Mm. And it was just shocking for me to realize that there were these women that I imagined that were in positions of power. You know, at that time, I'd heard a story. There were multiple stories of women that were incredibly powerful in Hollywood. There was a woman that was a partner at a VC firm. Like people were, people that I thought had immense power were talking about feeling powerless because they were women yeah. and it came as a shock to me and I think I went through this weird period where I just felt like I should do something but I don't know what and I came across four friends who felt the same way and they wanted to do something and we thought but why don't we make our effort because everyone was working on a ton of things our effort focused on the Tamil community so that's what it is it's a it's an organization focused on helping um, Tamil women and their allies, it could be, you know, other uh, people, other women or people who identify as women, work on advancing themselves in their careers. So it's by surrounding yourself by really ambitious women. We teach skills through workshops and programs that we hold, and we expose you to women who have done extremely well in their careers to say, look, it's possible. You know, you mm. can meet Carolyn De Silva, look at what she's done, or you can meet this other woman, you know, who's who's done incredible things in her career. And it's been really nice because it's taken this kind of ball of not great energy, which is what I think is always good to do in our lives. When you have this terrible thing, just channel it into something useful or forget it. Don't walk around with that ball of energy if you can, right? Mm. And and that's what this has been. And, and we do a ton of things. We have a book club that uh, focuses on on a learning new skills and, and talking about how you can advance yourself in your career. We have speakers, we have workshops, ton of great things. And we do have an event coming up. I believe it's on March the 3rd, leading up to International Women's Day, where we put 
five senior women in their careers and five women who are kind of on their way up, put them on stage and get them speaking. It's mm. called Let Her Speak. And it's to get them to kind of develop speaking careers and be out there so that when any organization is out there thinking, you know, I'd like to get more women. They exist. Come and look at the number of people we've had speak at our events and you'll know that they're incredible women that just need to be found that would be happy to speak at your events, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, so it's been a really um, lovely effort. And I'll leave you with one thought from this is uh, there is a, a, a woman called uh, Carlin Purcell that I speak to once in a while who's a great energy in my life. And she told me this and this is the energy I want to take into this group mm -hmm. and everyone I meet in 2020. 2020, she says, is the year of the big ask. And when Carolyn Purcell of Toronto declares it is, it is, Ravi. Mm. So this is the year. If you're going to ask for funds from someone, if you're going to do something large and ask for it, make it 2020. Work up your energy. Focus on one particular month. Say March is going to be my month of big ask. Put it all together. Ten difficult, uncomfortable asks. Just ask, ask, ask. That one person who want, you wanted to be your mentor that you never had the guts to ask, ask. That firm, that that you know, that investor that you think could give you some seed money, whatever it is, pick one month, go nuts. It's so uncomfortable when you pull it all together; it won't be so bad. Yeah. And then chill and reward yourself because you did the big ask. But that's that's our energy going into 2020. Absolutely, that's amazing. <laughs> I mean, this is exactly like uh, an institution that provides like esteem building. Yes. Right. I mean, yes. you Very encourage much. them to like you for the encouragement also, but a, a guidance like a, a way to like. Uh, measure their improvement, yeah. right? You break it down into goals. And most importantly, you be able to provide a social element to it, yeah. right? And there's our ways. And you know what it's like surrounding yeah. yourself with excellence. Like, I feel like ever since I've met some of the women in the group, I feel like I'm not aiming high enough, yeah. which is what it what happens when you surround yourself with like people with the growth mindset. Absolutely. That's what they say, right? When you are unhappy, when you want to go achieve something, go and find people who have already done that yeah. and just hang out with them. Right. Yeah. The closest five friends make who you are. Yeah. Right. Because that's the energy you surround yourself with. Your thought patterns kind of sync up and you kind of uh, pick up their habits as well. Yeah. Right. And I, I've realized that, too. I mean, a lot of ways like you can change parts of yourself, like self-improvement is a thing. I don't think yeah. a lot of people look into themselves enough yeah. to be like, you know, I, I need to change. Yeah. How can I change? And you, you still better? can. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And part of that is by actually surrounding yourself with other people. Right. It's it's kind of interesting how the human mind kind of works like yeah. that. Right. By so providing yourself with certain type of people who project a certain type of energy, you can change your energy, change your environment, change your station. Right. In yeah. life. Right. I mean, I'll give you an example. Carolyn De Silva, who we uh, profiled, phenomenal woman working at with uh, Law Blah. Mm -hmm. uh, we had two workshops. One was called um, uh, how to get an executive presence, cultivating an executive presence. She signed up for it. I'm like, she is an executive, right? Doing really well. And then we had a workshop on how to plan for maximum productivity. Keller registers again. And I'm thinking, here is a woman with a growth mindset. She's achieved great things, but she still feels she can learn things, right? Absolutely. So, yeah. And I'm going to get a recommendation from you for what you're reading now that is excellent that we should put on our book club list. Oh, yeah. definitely. I'd love to help, right? And uh, we'd love to, uh, love to help you guys any kind of way. This is a really cool initiative you have going on. Um, and I know how, how you talk to people. Like, you're always about building and uh, sharing things. So 
again, thank you so much for coming oh, here. Pleasure. And uh, thank you again for like, uh, again, just being supportive. Oh, I I love what you guys are this, doing. Right? I love the idea of uh, listening to more voices in Canada who are like like embedded in innovation. Perfect. I mean, can we expect anything like this from you, like a podcast or your own personal oh thing? Gosh, like, would I you ever know. do it? It's I I have respect for you guys. It is a lot of work. I would love to do one. I think that it would be probably. Um, Uh, focusing on politics. Right? So we're toying with the idea because we have all the equipment and the knowledge yeah. and even the people uh, of creating like a podcast center. We have like, an, mm. a, in a, in a, like a Lydia's closed off office room yeah. and people to just come in and use it. Yeah. Because majority of the time our, our stuff is just lying around. Right. I mean, I would say in media, the one sector that is growing while others are dying is podcasts. Their investments. I mean, Gimlet got bought off. Did he? Did they get bought by Spotify? I can't remember for money, like actual money. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So podcast startups are something to be. You're not. You're not in the. In the. Um, uh, you're not in that that area. Like you're not going to be. Uh, you know, as valuable as Shopify, for example. But you're still worth something so i think that uh, that if you are thinking of starting a podcast incubator all the power to you because i think that um small businesses come can come to you thought leaders can come to you influencers come can come to you but also like media corporations can outsource to you yeah right? yeah, yeah. yeah oh cool i don't think about that <laughs> interesting thank a you business idea born right there here. you go I love it. boom awesome <laughs> but uh okay So let's shout out to a few of the things before we wrap out that you're already okay. involved with. Uh, Dale, if you can pull up the, the columnist from uh, C, uh, CBC Radio. This is, uh, you're a part of this group. Yes. It, so we have um, columnists that speak on different topics, finance. I do tech. It airs across the country. Mm -hmm. So if you're listening to morning radio, Kelowna, Whitehorse, Calgary, wherever it is, you'll Amazing. hear, you know, my voice come up and say, blah, blah, blah about some, you know, AI yeah. or nanotechnology or whatever it is. Um, but then we also have finance columnists and you can always listen to, I post them on my LinkedIn occasionally. I should get better at that, but they're, but they're always there. And then of course, Um, CBC Fresh Air is our Ontario weekend show. I am yeah. so proud that they've asked me to be a guest host on that. Okay. So, you know, a couple of times a year when Nanaba, who is fantastic, mm -hmm. um, really well known in the Toronto scene, when she's not hosting, then I step on and it's three hours of live radio, Saturdays and Sundays. It's totally fun. Amazing. Yes. That's amazing. Um, would you guys do any, do you guys do any kind of content for like, um, Google Assistant or Alexa, Alexa, you know those. Yes, a CBC does. I mean, we have um, we have our news shows that air over, of course. Okay. But that's the thing. I mean, if you think about it now, voice is coming into the house. Yeah. Right. Are we saying the newspapers are coming into the house? No, voice yeah. is coming into the house. That's why I'm saying there are all of these signs that talk about how important podcasts are because people are seeing these other signs. Yeah. Awesome. Perfect. Well, Manjula, man, thank you so much for coming. Uh, it's been great. Guys, let's call this. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thanks.